You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As the host of NPR's The Big Listen, Lauren Ober was basically podcasting about podcasts and through that became a bona fide podcast expert. In part two of our conversation, she takes us through her production process on Spectacular Failures and what it takes to make a great podcast. Maybe you've thought of starting your own podcast. Well, I can certainly tell you from personal experience that podcasting is a great home for any performer. Podcast is performance. And so it feeds that desire of mine to perform, but where I don't have to do it in front of a live audience. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short. Here you'll learn how artists and creatives handle the setbacks and challenges in their career. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, a professional actor and singer for almost 30 years and a backstage expert who knows firsthand the ups and downs we all face. You can subscribe to the Win Me newsletter by going to whyillnevermakeit.com. That way you can keep up to date on members-only episodes, upcoming guests, and current giveaways like a signed copy of Justin Guarini's book, Audition Secrets. All that and more is in the Win Me newsletter. Sign up today at whyillnevermakeit.com. When this podcast started in 2017, it it was a hobby, something fun to do. But over the last couple of years, and particularly during this pandemic, Why I'll Never Make It has become an important creative outlet for me and has provided more opportunities to help and connect with fellow artists. Because you see, there are a lot of parallels between podcasting and theater. Both involve writing and storytelling, and of course, performing the narration and the voiceovers. There's connecting and collaborating with guests, as well as those on your team, if a podcaster is lucky enough to actually have a team. Which, much like theater, also requires funding or financial resources of some kind. My guest today, Lauren Ober, has been involved in all of those areas and understands both the creative and business aspects we all face as artists. As a podcast consultant and voice coach, one of Lauren's focuses is bringing more women into podcasting. I was looking up some stats and females in the podcasting space has already been a minority for sure. 
The highest number I saw was that 40% of new podcasts on Libsyn were female host driven. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but that's, that's a lot of qualifiers in there. <laughs> but then also being gay brings that number even way down, you know, a smaller minority. So do you feel any kind of responsibility to stand up for them within the podcasting radio sphere? I mean, yeah, I, f I feel a responsibility to make sure that the medium that I work in is representative of the people who are are out there listening and who is out there listening aren't just like white, cis, het men. So the one beautiful thing about podcasts is that just to sort of get in the door, you know, it's a real low barrier of entry. And so right. it does allow, it's a very democratic space and a sort of egalitarian space. And whoever you are, whatever your interest, you could have a show. Almost everyone could could do that if you have, you know, a basic computer or, a, you know, a phone or anything like that. Getting people to listen is a totally different thing. And I think that when I hosted a sh that show called The Big Listen on NPR, I think there were something like five female hosts on all of the solo female hosts on all of public radio nationally. Hmm. And that's embarrassing. And I think that, yeah, when you look at the top 50 podcasts or the top 100 podcasts on Apple Podcasts or something, it's, you know, it's by and large white men, an occasional person of color squeaks in, like there are a handful of women who host, but it's not that many. I mean, you know, I'm a gay woman of a certain age. Um, and yeah, there aren't like, I can't point to that many folks who, who are like that. And I feel a particular responsibility for folks who are not men to help them use their voice. And I hate when women say, I hate my voice. I'm like, why? why? Tell me why. Like, why? How could you possibly, of all of the things, like hate your own voice? It is like, if you are a person who uses your voice to speak, um, it is one of the most important things about you and the one of the most unique. And I can't, I yeah. hate when women say that. And so I try to help people unpack that or how can you be more confident using your voice, projecting your ideas, speaking with authority? Um, I think that's really hard. I think that voice thing, because I, I've heard that too. And, and, you know, anyone who feels that way, I think it does come down to that confidence and feeling like that their voice is one way that they stick out in this quote unquote bad way mm. and they and they don't know how to fix it so then they don't want to deal with it. Right. Um I mean I've never in my entire life heard a man say I hate my voice. Like ne none. Like none. <laughs> Not one. I I I I've never When you're a singer, you you hear it. When you're a singer I mean maybe you when you're a singer but no one has ever I mean sure like but no one I've ever I've never heard a man like hate it on his own speaking voice ever. Um, you know, yes, I, I would say the majority of the people that I've heard say that were women. Right. That is true. Right. And, and I think it's garbage because, because we yep. have this idea that authority comes from, you know, a lower 
like a, a, a like a different timbre or a lower register. Like it's garbage. It's the same way as like we have a fixed notion of what it looks like to be a president, and what it looks like to be a president is like a you know person wearing a suit and tie and dress shoes, you know, and we don't see like that person who's president also being a mom. I just I get so bummed out. Um, and I, and I have sort of the internalized sexism also with voices. Sometimes I hear a really high pitched voice on the radio and I'm like, Oh God, you know, it's like, no, like, don't be a sexist. Like, don't be a sexist person. Like, like, like the reporting that this person is doing or the storytelling this person is doing is great. And there, so there, I don't believe that there's like a radio voice. Like you have a good voice for radio, you know, it's like, if you have a voice, and you're convey it's more the information that you're conveying and the way that you're conveying it, not necessarily like the specific pitch of your voice. It it happens in theater as well. There is a, a particular look that this role needs, or a particular height, or the, the color of your skin, or th- there's all these like physical characteristics that get in the mix of casting someone that it can get lost and well what about their ability how are they moving that body how are they expressing this story and sometimes that nuance can get lost when all you're focused on is the visual and in radio or on podcasts all we have is that voice so then that voice to some people can be all they hear all that they notice so then the story gets lost because they're distracted by a voice so people just get hung up on what they think this should be like Mm -hmm. yeah totally absolutely and i am here to say it can be whatever you want it to be (laughs) exactly exactly You started out in print, you went to radio, and now you're in podcast. How easy or difficult has it been to transition to each one of those? I mean, you know, a story is a story is a story, right? I mean, they have, you know, they have tension and drama and characters and scenes and all of that. And so across the media, it's all the same, basically. It just, you know, requires slightly different senses to be engaged, I think. And so when I moved from print, I kind of saw, you know, I mean, anybody could have read the tea leaves that newspapers were struggling. Print journalism was going through a real, you know, reckoning due to our friend, the internet. And so I had always been interested in audio. I I had I was an early adopter of podcasts. I really, I've always been a public radio listener. I used to wake up my alarm all through high school was set to our local NPR station in Pittsburgh where I grew up. And I thought, oh, well, I'll try to get into this, but I don't know how anybody gets into audio. How does one make a podcast? How does one end up on NPR? I don't know. Um, I ended up going to the Transom Story Workshop in Cape Cod, which... Sounds um, very bougie. It it does. <laughs> it does sound bougie. I don't know. I, there's no way I can cut that where it doesn't sound bougie. But uh, but it is run by some pretty fantastic folks who are original public radio producers and audio makers and folks who... Back back when NPR was more experimental and less sort of like, we're business. You know, we're, we're the news. So, you know, I learned how to put together an audio story and and use my ears. And I think I hit it at the right time because it was sort of as podcasts were becoming more popular 
but I got to really sort of cut my teeth in radio journalism. And I work for the NPR station in, in Washington, D.C., where I currently live. And, you know, and, and learning how to do breaking news in audio was really hard. I mean, it's, you know, you have scripting, you have to script, and then you have to record yourself and the whole thing. And so it was an interesting transition. But one that I'm very well suited to this medium. I really enjoy it. I um, Being able to use your voice is mm-hmm. a real joy and it's a real privilege, I think, for me to be able to speak to people and, and have an audience. And, and while I'm generally not, you know, talking about my own ideas or my own, you know, thoughts and principles, and I'm not sort of trying to influence anyone, I'm still a journalist. Uh, I do really like being able to think about an audience and presenting stories and information to them so that it's an enjoyable listen. So it's, it's fun and educational all at the same time. While Spectacular Failures was in its concept phase, American public media conducted a search for potential hosts. Lauren's previous gig, The Big Listen on NPR, had been canceled, so she was now a free agent looking for work. She applied and was brought in to essentially audition for the role. They send you copy or a script that they've already done, and you zhuzh it up and you deliver it. You know, I mean, based on this sort of strength of my other work, I've been I've been a radio reporter for years, and then I hosted a show on NPR. Short-lived though it was, you know, it, it, it sort of helped me find a particular hosting voice and all of that. So it was just, it's like, give them tape from my other shows. Um, but really, like, the brief was pretty basic narrative show about business failure or something. And so, um, so I, it wasn't, it's not my original idea. It's not my original name. Like all of that was kind of set, but the treatment of every episode, I mean, that is very much from my brain and the brain of my collaborator, Whitney Jones, who is the senior producer on the show. And so we cobbled together what we kind of wanted to sound like. And like, neither of us are MBAs, neither of us. Um, I mean, we have pa- a passing interest in business. Um, but I, both of us know how to tell a good story and, and what the components of it are. And, you know, my, my forever line is that business stories are just human stories with a lot more money attached. So the reporting of it is, is the same. The sort of treatment is the same as anything else, um, any other kind of narrative. Well, kind of narrowing down on that storytelling aspect, you you mentioned research and people that you interview and that kind of thing. Do you have a, a structure for this research or does the particular subject matter or business that you're talking about determine how you structure that research? I kind of take a fire hose approach um, in the early days where I or our producer, David Jaw, will put together packets um, of material newspaper articles, magazines, scholarly journal articles, movies, TV shows, podcast, anything that has ever touched on this topic or is adjacent in some way, you know, just put it all in a document dump and consume that just to sort of get the baseline. And then, you know, we kind of drill down once we we determine who we want to talk to. So we talk to a lot of academics and we talk to, you know, people who work in particular industries and we try to come at the story sometimes with some sideways approaches. 
like how we open our shows. Um, we call them cold opens, like Saturday Night Live has a cold open, but um, we, you know, we, we, we kind of get a basic idea of like, the, of the arc of the story through the research and then book all of our people and figure out who we want to talk to and then just get a bigger picture. I mean, we, we use our, our research, you know, as a jumping off point and usually let our guests tell the story and we're fact checked. We get a lawyer checks everything. Like we're pretty serious about accuracy. Our core team is just three people. And obviously, you know, we work with an editor who works across a couple of shows and we have, you know, an audience engagement editor who works across a couple of shows. And then we have all of our, you know, all the other folks who, who help put the show out. But our core team is really just three people. We all do a lot of the same work and then we split off in our separate areas. I write the show, senior producer Whitney Jones, he produces it, puts it all together, you know, like um, sound designs it. And David Jar, other producer, does a lot of the booking and research and sort of guest engagement and all that. It's a real nice little trifecta of a team. Yeah, I do all those. Yeah. So I know what all those roles are. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, you know, I always say like, because I started off in, you know, in in radio journalism, like I can do all of that stuff. Of course. I, I can put a show together from, you know, top to tail. I physically can do it. Technically, I can do it. But like, I can't do it in the time that we have. You know, you need a team of people. Yeah. And it just obviously it's it is better with multiple sets of ears on it. Because how long would you say from okay, we're gonna I've been reading about this live end, let's start there all the way to release. How long does that process usually take? For, a month. Yeah. It's basically a month per story, but we we have a kind of agile approach because you're working where on stories. We're doing multiple same, yeah, I was just about yeah, to say yeah, that. of course, of course. Yeah. Um, but basically you know, and in our, our, I mean, we do things very quickly. We're a very nimble team, um, but it there's just some things you can't speed up, sadly. Yeah, I get it. My process, because I'm a one person, it I don't have a lot of time to just like spread it out over a month. I tend to do the interview, which, which has its own research going into, mm-hmm. you know, like bringing you on, asking questions. And then and then it kind of goes away while I'm working on other things. And then a week before it comes out, okay. And then I edit it all together. So it's a, yeah, it, it's a pretty yeah, quick process, yeah, it's, uh, even though it it's, takes a long time, if that makes sense. Everything that goes into making a podcast is is generally pretty thankless. I mean, the, you know, making everyone sound good. So yeah. those little things, I mean, you know, it's like, it is not uncommon to spend an hour on one minute of tape, you know? Oh, um, oh yeah. Because it, so. it all depends on your software, <laughs> just trying to get some noise out of the background, or it sounds like that they were speaking into a pillow and you're right. just trying to get all those, but the, the time that it takes and the writing of it, again, going back to the writing, that is just not my strength nor my love. It is the actual putting the story together. Once it's done, then I'm happy. Yeah, I just like it when it's out and I don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> like I just I'm good yeah. I'm good if it's like once it comes out and I and I don't ever have to listen to it again cuz listening over and over and over again is extremely tedious and it it stops being fun after 
after a while because you because and you start you just hear every tiny 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 little thing like if the word this is so dumb if the word digital is in our script if i've ever written that in like i do my best to excise it because we did an episode about kodak and I had to say that word digital a hundred thousand times, but I have like a real speech impediment around this very particular word. It is a word that like, my God, when the episode came out, my girlfriend dragged me to know and she was like, what were you saying? What is that word? And then was like, she was like, were you drunk? Like, I'm like, no, I just like, it's the way that my teeth and my tongue are formed. So I have to act like work really, really hard. And when I was, you know, when you sort of QC, do quality control, whatever on these episodes, and I'm like, oh my God, I just can't say it right. But you're not like going to retrack it over and over again. And so yeah. like once it's out, I'm just like, I don't care anymore. You know, like I'm never have to listen to myself say that word again. <laughs> I, I mean, I've it's listened so- to every episode, but I don't remember the Kodak one standing out. I'm going to have to go back and listen now and just analyze every time you say digital. It's so bad. <laughs> I've had to train myself how to say it in a way that doesn't sound like I have 15 marbles in my mouth. Um, It's so interesting. Yeah, for me, just over the last, I would say, six months, because a year ago, I didn't have this problem. But now, all of a sudden, almost every other S, it's not every S, thankfully, but almost every other S has a whistle in it. And I can't, (laughs) I'm like, what is happening? Why am I whistling? Sounds like you have dentures. What are you you talking talking about? I know the S whistle is a real thing. And so I sometimes have that too. It's it's sibilance. We pop our peas and we work really hard. You know, like you learn over time if your voice is is a tool that you're using, how to modify the tool so that it doesn't sound... Terrible. I mean, luckily, you know, my producers are great and they can hear all of these things. Like, I think I have a lot of energy in a read. And then they're like, um, could you be any more low energy right now? And I'm like, what? I feel like I'm so amped and pumped. And they're like, get out of here. Although we don't do that many takes. We try to keep it really tight. We try to keep everything really tight because we work on a very tight timetable. Yes. So we kind of have to cruise through things. But yeah, I mean, I'm sad that, uh, you know, coronavirus happened. Um, for any number of reasons, not least of which is that, you know, we wanted to dip our toes in doing a few live shows here and there um, because I, I love that kind of stuff. But alas, the virus had other plans for us, but it's fine. So as we have now passed the 1 million podcast threshold uh, this, this past summer, where do you think podcasts are going? Do you think it's going to be this more open, democratic, and anyone can do it? Or do you think it's going to go the way of Gimlet and Spotify, and it's just that that triangle is just going to get narrower and narrower, and just those little bitty people at the top are really all that's going to be represented? Uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to prognosticate. Although there are plenty of people who try, um, and I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've realized in my career in this particular medium to not bank too much on people's predictions. Um, So that's the caveat with which I will deliver this. There's a lot of money in podcasting right now. And I think that we would be remiss to not acknowledge that or as the industry not acknowledge that because there are every big media outlet 
um, is dipping its toe in the water. Every news outlet has some type of podcast enterprise. People see real value in this. Now, is it going to be like the way that blogs went, which is that everybody had one and then over time they professionalized or they fell away, right? Is it going to be like that? Perhaps. Will it settle into some kind of like, here are the big studios. These are the big studios just like in movies. But then there are people who do independent work. And then there are people who do experimental stuff. And then there are people who make iPhone videos. You know what I mean? Like, is it just going to sort of settle into something that it more resembles the way that other media has already settled? Like book publishing, um, you know, there are big publishing houses and then there are the, there are the smaller indie ones and there's the self-publishing and then, you know, and then you have a marketplace like Amazon. I'm not promoting that, but I'm just saying like you could find them all there. So I'm not fussed by the volume. I believe right now it's harder to get ears on your shows because the volume of listeners is not growing at equivalent pace that the volume of new shows coming out is. I agree. Yeah. It's been exponential in the last year. And especially with the pandemic, that's just made everyone want to do a podcast and think about it. Whereas the listeners have stayed relatively the same and inching incrementally upward slowly. Right. Right. And I think that while I am all for people exercising their creativity, making a show, doing little skits off and putting them up on YouTube, like writing a blog or like doing your little poetry chapbook, I'm all for like put as much creativity out into the world as possible. Don't think that it's going to be your job. And it's okay if it isn't because there's no reason why podcasting can't be a hobby. I mean, I know I say I say that and I, it seems like I'm a really privileged person to do that, but this is my job and I have hobbies. Like I am a cyclist, but I don't ever race and I'm not trying to like win money from it because it's like a hobby. It's a fun thing. It fills my soul in some kind of way. My professional work feeds a part of me, but it is a job. And when you make something your job, it can take some of the the fun and delight out of it because, you know, you got to pay your rent every month. So, I mean, I think it'll get more professionalized. Um, I think that there has to be a way where there's more listener engagement and more, you know, we, we know that just straight up advertising doesn't always pay the bills. And so, you know, it's constantly changing. Because I think that's one of the things that I don't like about some of the, the bigger, more professional podcasts, as you call them, is that it just sounds like a radio show. It's, it's, you know, someone gets on and then we'll be back after this break and then they come Mm -hmm. on and then we'll be back after this break. And it's like, okay, well now I'm just listening to to radio back in the eighties and nineties. So, well, I I love radio. So I'm not going to ever complain about that. (laughs) No, 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 no. But, but, but that, that was the radio medium. Nothing wrong with radio. I mean, believe me, when they would go off on their three minute breaks, I would change the channel, but that's, that's, that's what you do. (laughs) But, but no, but that was the medium of radio. I think podcasts can be something different from radio. And I find that these bigger production companies are just falling back on what's safe, which is the radio model. And I think podcasts can be something different. 
there are a lot of really smart, creative people out there figuring out ways of monetizing, you know, these bigger shows because like, like shows like that, you know, that I do or investigative journalism shows or big splashy one-off productions, they're very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're, we're, we're not talking like movie expense, you know, but we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to make these. And so, but there are creative people out there trying to figure out, well, how do we how do we support this? How do we support good storytelling? How do we support... Because it can't just be that podcasts are 15,000 bored celebrities, you know, interviewing their friends. Oh, gosh. Um, Yes, please. You know, I mean, I I feel like that is one thing that I saw an uptick in. And coronavirus times is like, you know, TV and movie people are like, all right, well, I, I need to like connect with my fans how am I going to do it? I'm going to have a podcast. But my question is like, like what is the compelling reason to have a show? If you think it's going to be like a thing that you want to make money on and that you actually want people to listen to, because, you know, consumers are way savvier now than they ever have been before. And there are so many options. And so the thing that you're making has to be, really enticing for folks and it has to you have to be very clear about who your listeners are and what you're wanting to tell them and and all all that and and if and if you just say i want to have a podcast it's not good enough anymore it might have worked like that seven eight years ago but now it's it's a much more sort of competitive landscape but it'll it'll settle in a way that entities have settled and hopefully that it'll keep evolving because ways of you know reaching people and ways of making money those those are all evolving for our sort of traditional media anyway right now with regards to podcasts obviously you do a lot of listening and so are there any arts or performing podcasts that you like and have listened to Well, uh, my podcast listening tends to basically follow the same path. I really like serialized narrative nonfiction. Um, So if I look at like my podcast queue, I mean, that's pretty much all that's in there with a few exceptions. But, you know, asking about arts podcasts, I do really love podcast musicals. I think that they're genius. I think that it allows people to create musical theater without there being a theater and without the enormous cost uh, associated with mounting any type of show. Even if you're doing a you're previewing it or you're shopping it around or whatever, it's still pricey to do that. And so the first one that I listened to was called 36 Questions with my boyfriend, Jonathan Groff. And it was so much fun. There was another woman in there, but I can't remember her name because... Right, right. And so that was really, really fun because it was written for the ear. It was not written for the eye. She's not jumping. And so there was all this, all this uh, sound design in it, and you know the singing is exactly the same as you would encounter on stage. It's just that it has to be written in such a way that you're not seeing the drama play out. It has to be you're seeing it in your head. And I still have a very clear mental image of of the action and the drama that was happening in that show. It's really great. And Jonathan Groff is delightful. We had him on my previous show as a guest and he was just 
completely charming and delightful. And so I loved that one. And I loved John Cameron Mitchell's musical called Anthem Homunculus. Um, it was it was definitely something that I think had it not been John Cameron Mitchell and had it not had like cameos by Cynthia Revo and Glenn Close and Patty Lapone that I might not have been interested in this subject matter, but it was brilliant and beautiful and just an, an exceptional use of the medium. Um, it felt very cinematic. I really, really loved that. That's on Luminary and Luminary is a paywall service and I don't think it has reached a free platform yet, but it's really excellent. And then I just started listening to this one from ABC, which is an Australian version of NPR, um, called Crossbred. It's a musical comedy about a Christian musical, like, rap duo. Um, (laughs) And so the music is really funny, and the dialogue is really hilarious. It's fiction. It's, like, it's totally a delightful romp. I, I... I found that a couple of weeks ago and have been listening to it. So, yeah, I mean, I think any way that folks can play with the medium and make something totally unique is is really appealing to me. And I think that's what those podcast musicals really do. Well, I will certainly say, as someone who has become a fan of yours over the the last two seasons of Spectacular Failures, I mean, you certainly bring as much as you are a journalist and you're fact-checking and you're presenting these stories, you still infuse your personality, which is, I think, what really makes the show. So it's a, it's a great honor to have you on this podcast and to share your insights. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's really fun to chat and, you know, gas bag about all things show-related oh. and other things. <laughs> <laughs> With her years of experience behind the mic and in storytelling, Lauren touched upon some important concepts and ideas to think about. Whether you're putting together a podcast or creating a new show for the stage or screen. I particularly like what she said about the fine line between your jobs and your hobbies and your passions. It harkens back to something Michael Kilgore said in an episode with Hannah Ellis last season. Your hobby doesn't have to be your job or even bring you money. And conversely, it puts a lot of pressure on any job to also give you passion and fulfillment and fun that a hobby can bring. And it is this delicate balance that we artists are striving for, using our creativity to its fullest and enjoying the process, while also making sure there is money in the bank and food on the table. If you need any help in creating that balance, working on the artistic or the business side of your career, then feel free to reach out to me for coachings and consultations. I'd love to help you in any way I can at any point along your creative journey. You can reach out to me or sign up for monthly coachings at whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, thank you for joining me and Lauren for part two of our conversation. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of recording, editing, and producing this podcast. Dylan Adams is the booking producer. Music in this episode provided by Blue Dot Sessions and Vortex. Join me next week with actress, singer, and comedian Ashley Monique Bernard as we talk more about why I'll never make it. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.